Sorry, I'm poly- poly- verse 11, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong place. Imagine that. He continued, there were two sons, verse 11, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong place. Verse 12, the younger one said to the father, Father, give me the share of the state. So he divided the property between them. This is a parable of two sons. The father had two sons. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and was set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. None of you know what that means. Verse 14 says, after he had been spent everything he had, there was a severe famine, wouldn't you know it, in the land, and that country began to be in need, which happens. So he went and hired himself out, he got a job, up to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me then one of your servants or hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed his smelly pig-filled body. And the the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring him the fatted calf and and kill it. Let's have a feast and have a big bribe. And celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, the other idiot, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, instead of going in and being excited, became angry. And refused to go in, throw a hissy fit. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Amazing dad. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him, my son, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In this story, the hero for me is the father, not the sons. Neither of the sons were any good. They represent and seem to me like a lot of many of us were and should not long, any longer be. The younger son was ignorant, and you have to ask yourself, why would the father give his part of inheritance so early, knowing it, it was a bad thing? Now, if the prodigal son was ever an American, he would have come home and sued his father for letting him go in the first place, or giving him the money and causing the trauma. And if he was American, he would have won the case and made more money out of it all. Because where I come from in America now, we don't take responsibility for anything. 
it's always someone else's fault. But if you really are repentant in your heart, that's what repentance means, change your mind, you don't blame anybody. It's a frustration to me when someone apologizes to me with the phrase, if I have done something. Well, why would you say if? That means you're not really sorry. You just don't want the consequences or the unpleasantness. Why don't you ask what you did? So you can genuinely repent and change your mind and recognize and take responsibility. It's because you're not really sorry. Or if someone apologizes to me, I'm so sorry for hurting you, but I was having a bad day. Don't make an excuse. Just take, There's nothing that diffuses offense or hurt like taking responsibility. I'm sorry, I messed up, I've got no excuse, I did it. And God is all for that because instantly He forgives you. But if you want to try and justify your bad decisions or the bad attitude, all you're doing is, is prolonging the trouble. The prodigal son asked for a portion, and I believe the father, being the good man he was, gave it to him because it was inevitable. And sometimes you've got to release those kids to do what they want to do, because if you don't, they're going to do it anyway. And now you release them, and they'll come, they'll come back all that quicker. Now the father loved the son enough to let him go, but also not to retrieve Rescue or go and find him. This is where I have failed as a dad repeatedly in my life. I rescue my kids all the time, even to this day. And I, the Lord's told me a hundred times, and I try so hard not to rescue them, but I just can't help it. I'm always full of compassion for my children. I growl about doing it, but I do it anyway. I'm sure none of you understand what I'm talking about. Okay, so this prodigal son, now one squandered all the wealth, and they knew where he was because this older brother said this, Son of yours has squandered wealth, all the well, your wealth with the prostitutes. How did you know that? Because they knew where he was and what he was doing, and they could have gone to get him, but nobody did. The father loved him enough not to get him. He had to hit the bottom. There's a place for people to return around. They have to get to a place like this prodigal son where no one gave him anything. While someone's still helping and there's always a rescue, they never come to their senses. So sometimes to help someone, you mustn't help them. You got quiet in this place. We're so inclined to, out of our own guilt or feeling good and, and wanting to help someone, but really, if you really want to be a good parent, you do what's best for the child. You make the best decisions for the child. I'm having a second chance at doing that in my life. I have grandchildren that I have legal custody of that I'm raising, three of them, and it's, uh, I have to revamp them because they were raised badly in the bad situations, and I had to, I had to undo, starting to undo what they've been doing. Fortunately, my wife is her primary gifting in her life is being a mom. She's an incredible mother, and she's really working the case, but I'm still trying to change. You can't turn the ship in a hurry, so I'm, I'm, every consideration I'm thinking, what's going to be the best for them? It's easy for me to do stuff and to Make it happen because I'm a natural make it happen person, but sometimes making it not happen or not helping at all is the best thing for them, and I have to think that through. And that's what the Father does. We want God to rescue and to help us and answer our prayers, and often because He loves us, He doesn't answer because He doesn't want to not help us. He wants to help us in the longevity of life, so He doesn't intervene at times, but He knows the end from the beginning. We don't understand so many things in our lives, and, and the thing is, it's, how can we possibly expect to understand? If we, if we understood what God was doing or what He allowed, then we would be God. We wouldn't need to trust Him. It's because we don't know what He's doing, we trust Him. God cannot explain to me all the things He's doing. He's got 
thousands, in fact, millions of universes, how is he ever going to explain to my little tiny brain what he's doing? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, the prodigal son, the Bible said, when he hit the bottom of the bottom and he wanted to eat the, eat the food the pigs had. Now, please understand, there was no one was giving him no food. He was at the worst he could be. He had no provision. And in his reasoning, there was no, I'm really sorry for what I did. I did a, did a stupid thing. He just reasoned that my father's hirelings have better food than this. I can go and be a hireling. I'm better off with my dad as a hireling than this is, is terrible. And whatever reason they come back for, it's irrelevant to God as long as they come back. Do you understand what I'm telling you? This isn't the word. I didn't make it up. And so he wants to come back as a hireling. He relinquishes his right as a son because he knows he's messed it up, which shows his true heart of repentance. Now the Bible says the father was on the porch watching for his son and saw him a long way off. He had to be watching for him to see him a long way off. Must have been watching in the right direction because there's 360 degrees around his home, so he's watching in the right direction, knowing where his son is, waiting for him to come home, anticipating and hoping, praying, believing every day. And when the son comes, he runs to meet him. That's your father in heaven. Your father runs to meet you. And he doesn't repent and say, I'm sorry for what I did to you. He starts saying, he takes full responsibility and says, I have sinned. Not my, your fault or I'm really hungry. No, I have sinned. I'm not blaming anybody else. It wasn't what you did. I did this. I'm not worthy to call. It doesn't comfort his son. He calls for the servant immediately. That's all he needed was to see a change of heart to be restored the way he was. God is so quick to forgive. It troubles my heart that my family of God struggle to forgive themselves. When God has forgiven them so easily. In fact, the Lord recently opened my understanding that he finds it very offensive that we reiterate what's been put under the blood in the sea of forgetfulness. For example, we call it a testimony. We get up and tell of all the wicked things we did before we got saved. And nowhere does it glorify God. Whether you murdered someone or whether you just lied, both sins will get you in the same hell. We grade offenses, not God. The most primary offense now, and when you face him, the first moment you face God, the first question will be, did you receive his son? The second judgment is the white throne judgment for what we've done, or haven't done, or should have done, and we get assessed by that. But the actual judgment is whether we receive Christ, not whether we are good or bad. Because let me make it clear to you, you're rotten to the core. If you weren't, you wouldn't have needed a Savior. You've been redeemed, and you should say so. And you've been transformed into His Im image. You are a new creation. That rottenness has now passed away. You're a new creation, what God originally designed you to be, and you're growing into it. Your brain's catching up with your spirit. Do you understand that? Because your brain doesn't know that you're saved. It's taking time to get there. When you get born again, you're free of all the things that bound you, but you didn't know that, so you carry on with the cigarette, you carry on with the cussing, you carry on with the things because you didn't know it. And then you start learning to find out who you were, and you have to go through all that process of getting cleaned up. God, I'm awfully quiet in this church. I don't know what's wrong with this. My first time I've ever been here, and this council was when I was here, and it was not so still. But it's not me, it's not me. 
phenomenally. The prodigal son's father, to my mind, my Jewish practical mind, it's ridiculous to go get the most expensive garment, and they could have walked back with the servant to the house, but he waited there. He's halted the process. We're not going back to the... Listen, you must get this. We're not going back to the house until you have your restoration. I'm bringing you back not as a, a broken, messed up son, but as, a, but as a restored son. So he sends for the garment and the ring, which is a th- authority, the new credit card, and the shoes... Because wealthy people have quality shoes, and they must expect, they give me my best robe. I would have said, you know, sir, please let me make it aware to you, this man has been tending pigs, and I don't know if you saw him a long way off or smelt him a long way off, but he wasn't <laughs> in the best shape. Shall we just shave his head and, and scour him a few times and let him put clothes on him? No, the father was adamant to cover him while everyone's trying to expose you or your sin, God's trying to cover you. And he's always trying to cover you. It was someone that I knew in this country that said, people have a right to know. And the more I discover and follow the law, the more I realize that God absolutely finds that offensive. In fact, they caught Jesus teaching now these disciples, and they brought this woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and they come to throw the woman in front of him and say, what should we do with her? And he says, what does the law say? The law says we shall stone her. Go ahead. If you have no sin, if you have no sin in your life, you have complete liberty. Be the first one to cast a stone. Now, I would have said, having the power and knowledge of Jesus, I would have gone to each one and put the fear of God into them and said, your name is and you have done. And I would have, because she had a right to know who was going to stone her. I would have thought. But Jesus didn't think that at all. He wrote in the sand enough information just that only the person who was guilty knew what that meant. So nobody was exposing anyone. And so when he's finished with them, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't have any. He said, I don't accuse you either. There was one person who had the right to accuse and he didn't. That's the nature of our Savior. So I'm here today to appeal to you not to accuse, because that's the ministry of the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. You're not. When you tell your wife or husband, you never, you always, you're accusing. Rather not accuse because it's not the nature of Christ at all. We don't accuse and we don't expose. We don't try and embarrass at all. We don't discuss other people's failings. It doesn't please the Lord in one bit. So if we discuss our old sin, our testimony, it offends God. It's even more offensive when we discuss someone else's sin, that God's forgiven. I don't know what's difficult to understand. Don't judge. It's two words. Don't judge. What part of judge don't you understand? We're so quick to have an opinion about someone. It's a bad thing. In fact, I'm convinced that we often go through crises in our lives because we judged. Jesus says the same way you judge, you will be judged. And many judgments come on us and our families because we were so quick to judge someone else. So when we're going through a crisis, it's usually the wise thing to start repenting of all your judgments and ask forgiveness that is not held against you because you're getting back what you've been doing. (laughs) You got very quiet in this place. I'm not sure what the problem is. So now, the the sun comes back and we are having a mega braai. I mean, it's down to the the best you can imagine. That pup and bors and... Pop and sauce and 
Breichleis was kirk van niks nie. But the older brother was in the field. Now, please understand, the father had servants, he had sons, he had hirelings. None of you are here are called to be a servant or a hireling. You're meant to be a son. You're so grateful to be a servant, but a servant doesn't inherit. A hireling doesn't stay with, with the employee, but a son never leaves. And sonship is vital, both in the natural and the supernatural. The last verse of the Old Testament says that the spirit of Elijah will come and restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And the same prophecy was given over John that the, when the Messiah comes, he will restore the hearts of the fathers, the sons and sons of the fathers. It's very vital that we are becoming a fatherless society because people get divorced and the children grow up without a dad or dad's always absent, and they don't know what to, how to relate to a father. You have many teachers, but a few fathers is a real desperate need for fatherhood in the church. The most famous, for me, Psalms, one of the most famous Psalms is a Psalm you all know the first two verses, and I would imagine you, you know that, that Psalms, 100, uh, 150 Psalms written by half of them by David, but the other half are different authors, and one of them is Solomon. Now, you all know Solomon's super smart, Right? The psalm he wrote that you all didn't realize, it says, Unless God build a house, we that labor, labor in vain. Now the first two verses pertain to the building and the watching on the, on the, and laboring early in the morning. But the last three verses of that same 127th psalm goes on to say, Blessed is the man who has many children in his youth. And it ends saying that when he contends with his enemies at the gate, his sons will stand with him. So for the completion or the work of the house that God's building, spiritual sons are vital. Sonship is important as is fatherhood. And it's, no, it's, the, it's so exciting or remarkable for me to see Pastor John so much like a father and so much like his own father, so wholesome. And I've traveled the world and I don't see much of that. I do see ministries that started out really well but end up becoming career ministries or running the church like a business. And yesterday, being here kind of emotionally messed me up because I, I'm homesick now. I want to come home. Not to the country, but to this church where I come from. My happiest days of my life was in this church with this family because they're so real. that They bring you to Christ. They don't try and promote their ministry. You don't have to usher them in and usher them out. They don't have a black Mercedes with a driver. And which is so common, people want to be fathers in the spirit, but they want it for themselves to make themselves look successful and good. The last words of Pastor Ed that ever spoke to me was, he put his finger on my chest, it actually hurt me, so like, I don't know why he did that. He said, Ed, don't do what I did. Let your sons become fathers. That's what his last words to me. Let your sons become fathers. And it's never left me. And now I'm, my greatest goal is my spiritual sons. This German is not my friend. He's my spiritual son. He's a pastor and a prophet. He has a wife and three children. And he's a really zealous worship leader and man of God. But all the spiritual sons I'm working on, I'm aiming not for them just to be sons, but to become fathers and my equals. That's what I'm aiming at. Anyway, the prodigal son's brother, the idiot 
was out there working when he was supposed to be a son, not a servant. So many of us are doing things as a servant or a hireling. When you're really a son, you're not enjoying or taking the full benefit of being a son. You're acting like a servant and a hireling instead of acting like a son. Are you hearing me? My kids have no problem acting like my children. When my, my kids and my grandkids, they completely believe that all that I have is theirs and all that they have is theirs too. And still to this day, it's, this, it's the same way they are complete. If my 40-year-old daughter asks me for something and I say no, she's shocked. Shocked. Doesn't understand why. They've taken that sonship way too far as far as I'm concerned. The older brother comes back and he has an expectancy because now in his mind, he's never sinned. I've never sinned against you. I am going to be on a church my whole life. I didn't do what that guy did. It's okay that I'm proud. <laughs> That's not a sin. I'm proudful and arrogant and, and not throwing a fit with my father. I'm not going in because I have served you all these years. Oh, I thought it was a joy to serve me. I thought you were doing it because you loved me. No, I'm doing it because I want something. What, what do you want? Recognition. I want honor. I want something from you. Wasting your time. Because God's already given it to you all. There's nothing you can earn. It's already been given. You don't have it because you didn't take it. You didn't receive it, but it's been given already. Don't earn God's affection. He's already given it to you. In overdose. You can't even use it all up. It's just not possible. Do you understand what I'm telling you? The older brother had such a bad attitude, and the father was so gracious to the lost son, and he was gracious to this other arrogant, self-righteous. And what bothers me about him, he's so arrogant, he has no compassion for his brother whatsoever except judgment. Now, the son of yours, not my brother, the son of yours, in the church we're so quick to have a difference from other churches because they don't quite agree believe the way we do, or sing what we sing, or act the way we... We're so quick to think they less than us. We don't recognize them as our brethren, even though they celebrate the same Christ. Right? They have the same Father. The son of yours, when he takes your wealth, and now he's bringing accusation against him, now he's building a case against him, and we want to build cases against people instead of being defensive and covering, because love covers I'm just telling you the Word of God, basic Christianity 101. But this father that we have, and I tell you, I was born again when I was 13. And my parents divorced when I was four, and I had a very rough childhood. We were in orphanages, and all, my brother and I in different difficulties. But I've never felt the pain of my childhood, because when I met the Lord, it was such an amazing experience. It was so real for me. I'm grateful my name is in the book of life, and I'm absolutely sure I'm going to heaven. No question, but not even a question for me. But I'm not even excited about that. That's not my greatest joy. My joy is this friendship and relationship, this fatherhood that I enjoy every day. He's such an amazing... I get so anxious for you to have taste and, and enjoy the Lord. Now, I hear people now, they're miserable about the most stupid, pity things. I wonder, don't you know the Lord? You're missing out on life. What does that matter? How can that stuff possibly make you happy? It doesn't. There's nothing... Nothing in this world can satisfy you. Not a husband, not a wife, not a child, not success, not a money, not a possession can satisfy you like the Lord. There's, he's the most amazing friend you could ever have. You can't be lonely if you have a Savior and a friend like Him. 
He's wonderful. He's kind and he's attentive and he's responsive. If you'll just draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He's wonderful and he loves you. You can't make him not love you. He just loves you no matter what. It's just unconditional. I love my kids and I'm an evil father. Don't laugh. You're evil too. I have it on black and white. You think I'm joking, don't you? In Luke 11, they asked Jesus, the disciples, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. So he teaches them our Father's prayer, and at the end he says, you then who are evil. He's talking to his disciples. You then who are evil, give your children good gifts. That's what he said. I didn't say it. I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. You've been reading the Bible every day, apparently. I hope you're not just flippantly rushing through it. I hope, see, 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 black and white. Well, blue and white. And black and white top. But the Word of God is amazing. I recommend my family of God often to get the audio of it and let it play in the background. Instead of listening to country, stupid country music or romantic music, which is not romantic at all. It's so depressing. I can't live without you. You know, oh my Lord. What well, pick fine time you pick to leave me four hungry children and a crop in the I mean really how, what stupid music is that? Put the Word of God in the background. Let it run all the time. It's fantastic. There are many translations, many different accents reading it all the time. It's, and the Word of God goes, the Spirit of God brings back to remembrance only what you put in the first place. So it's a fantastic thing you're doing and letting the people read the Word of God. Uh, now there are parts that are terribly boring. I mean, they're just long, he beget, he beget, he beget, he beget. And then there's all the law that's, oh, um, but there are parts that are so exciting. And whatever you like, I like science fiction. Oh, there's Ezekiel's wheel within a wheel, a ten-headed monster coming out of the ocean. And there's, if you like humor, oh, there's so many funny things. Balaam and his donkey. Wouldn't you think there's something funny about that? I mean, really, if your donkey spoke to you, wouldn't you think something's wrong with this picture? Not Balaam. He talks back to the donkey. And so the angels are debating, which one's the ass? You watch a gawly, there's more gawly in the Bible than you can imagine. <laughs> Seven Delans got nothing on the Bible. And Jacob's family was so confused, let me tell you. There was such a strange, dysfunctional family, but so, so funny and so romantic. The Bible's fantastic. Read it, please. The prodigal father was a hero, and he's your father in heaven. He loves you, and he calls his prodigal son, the oldest son, with the wrong attitude. He says, it's my son, my son, you're still my son. You're not my servant. You're not my hireling. You're my son. You could have had this any time. It was available all the time to you. It's waiting for you. The one didn't have it because he went away and thought it was better somewhere else. The other one thought he had to go and labor and wear himself down. His yoke is easy and light. If you're working hard, it was never God who gave that work to you. Don't tell me I'm so tired. Don't feel sorry for yourself because you did that all by your little lonesome. God didn't do it. It is fun to serve God. It is absolutely a delight to get up in the morning because it's fresh and new and He's unchanging. There's no one like Him. 